Today's show is being brought to you by contributors at Patreon. Go to patreon.com backslash the education game to support the show and thanks. Hello gamers, this is Matt Barnes and on this episode we're going to be having a question and answer period with a parent about their child's education. Now, this story may not perfectly apply to you, what you're going through and kind of your situation, but what you're going to learn, you're going to learn lessons and principles that will help you learn how to become your child's head coach. We're going to help you learn how to build confident, curious learners. So if that's what you're interested in, then sit back, buckle up, and let's get to our questions and answers. I'm Matt Barnes, and this is the Education Game Podcast. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the Education Game. And uh, yeah. you hi, and you sent a, uh, a question into me. And if it's okay, I'm going to, if I can find it, just give you a quick read to make sure we're on the same page uh, around what you're hoping to get out of this conversation. Sure. Just a moment just, here. You might need to edit it a little bit. It's kind oh. of long. <laughs> well, I did read it. I did read it. I just... Uh, I just wanted to let's make sure our readers know, and and I won't use okay. any uh, specific questions. Although you have a question about a school that where my kids attend, um, it's a, a hybrid model school. It's called Saint Constantine here in Houston. We'll talk about hybrid models at some point in the show, I'm sure. Um, again, okay, it's for me to read this. Yes, sure. Maybe leave out the part about my older child. Got it. You got it. Uh, so, um, younger son. Mm-hmm. Um, in clever, sensitive, introverted, potentially dyslexic. Um, you have, you're going to have him assess this, uh, this upcoming fall, mm-hmm. but your question is around St. Constantine, as well as other schools that I might recommend for kids with dyslexia. Yes. Uh, anything else you'd like to add to that, uh, that conversation for today? Um, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, my background, I have a master's in ed and literacy focus in middle school. Um, my older son has dyslexia. Um, and so it started me on a path of where I'm going to go get some very specific, either Wilson or Orton Gillingham training to help with remediation. Um, and it's just been really eye opening to figure out how to meet the needs of my really bright kids who have a learning disability. Yeah. Right. And Houston, I think particularly, I mean, my older one is in third grade, so I've been, and he was diagnosed at the end of kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And we know early intervention and early diagnosis is key. Sure, sure. And um, I'm hopeful for my younger son because he has the advantage of everything I've learned and from my mistakes or what I've done right <laughs> with the first one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, research shows that 95% of uh, kids can be with dyslexia can be diagnosed by the time they're five and a half. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so that's where well, I am. Yeah, well, it's interesting because we just did a show on Monday night. We have a show called um, When School is Not Working. And every Monday night at 7 p.m. Central Time, we talk about issues like this. And we had a a young man on, well, young man to me on the show. He's 38, 39, something like that, who um, is dyslexic, uh, talked about his learning journey, talked about um, how difficult it was in the traditional model school. Um, from, from being, uh, you know, uh, picked on, uh, you know, just really just a brutal experience. Right. And mm-hmm. so this is a common conversation. And so I want to one start by just encouraging you and thanking you for taking a, a leadership role in your child's education. 
Um, it, it, it oftentimes comes with all sorts of, uh, uh, of challenges, right? Because now you're yes. going to need to fight the system. You're going to need to like battle for your son. Or you have to identify what the system even is. I'm like, I'm ready to fight a system. I don't even know what it is. Like, well, it, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's like fighting the blob, right? Yeah, <laughs> it is. You punch somewhere and it comes out at you another way. And it, so anyway, so I want to just start by just encouraging you and thanking you for taking that kind of leadership. That is what we really, in the education game, what we want every parent to understand they must do, whether their kid is di- dyslex- dys- dyslexic or not. Okay. So let's talk about uh, St. Constantine first off, and what I know about hybrid model schools to begin with. Now, this is the second, actually the third hybrid model school that my kids have been in. Okay. Were they at Trinity? I saw on your LinkedIn that you served and we looked at that for my older kid, um, mm-hmm. but it just didn't quite feel, feel right. Um, so not for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I, well, yeah, you tell me what you know about St. Constantine or sure. however you were going to do it. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no problem. So this is just a conversation. We're just having conversation <laughs> over coffee or beer, although I don't have my beer here, although I, it is a little early for yes. that. Um, all right. <laughs> so for the parents that might be listening, a hybrid model school is a school that takes homeschool and a traditionally structured school and mashes it together. And most of the hybrid model schools are private. There's a, now there's actually some public hybrid model schools operating in uh, Arizona. Um, Yeah, they're charter schools. And so that creates a really interesting opportunity for a lot of families, but that's an Arizona thing, not yet here in Houston. Uh, Very rare outside of the United States as well for these types of models to show up. Um, The the beautiful part about it is uh, the two days that their child is in school is enough to provide some social, some consistency, you know, the, the teachers are providing content. So you don't have to now stra- scramble and figure out what right. are we going to study today, et cetera. Um, that's the good. Uh, also, when they're at home, if you have a flexible life and a flexible schedule, you can then personalize the learning. So when they're at home, you can make sure um, you're spending more time on the areas that they may be struggling or what I would recommend is really spending time finding out what the child is really excited about and leading in, leaning into that space, right? So you may have read or heard some of our conversations about this elsewhere. So, um, Well, I found that with, I, my older son is identified as, I hate this term, twice exceptional, right? Like he's mm-hmm. gifted and he has learning disability. His dyslexia is like stealth dyslexia, right? And we kept him home this year. And he's one of the only kids at his school that got kept home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wasn't confident that his school could handle the accommodations, yeah. plus the masks and the yep. plexiglass. Oh, yeah. And the dro- and, yeah, the, yeah, the disruption. Yeah. And uh, they're always like, oh, we got it. And I'm like, yeah, but I have many examples of you not getting it. Uh, saying how, you. how do you do? How do you do this this uh, summer or this year? He's done great. So his private school, very competitive private school, dropped the virtual program at all, remote learning at all, back in October and said, everyone has to go back. And he has asthma and his pediatrician was like, I don't like this decision at all. No, thank you. Yeah. And he actually looked at me and goes, Kate, I don't think you have a choice. I think you have to keep him home. And I was like, really? Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm from the Northwest, so we tend to be more, I think, communal and like mm-hmm. conservative as far as the COVID stuff goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but he's done great. I signed him up for a virtual 
um, school with Pearson, which it's just okay. But I told him, I said, expectations very low. I was like, it's going to be just okay, but you're going to finish this early. And then you can spend the rest of your day doing whatever you want. And Mm -hmm. he's getting one-on-one help with writing because he's reading in like a high school level now. Like he ended kindergarten not being able to recognize his own last name. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, he's dyslexic. Yeah. And he spent the summer between kindergarten and first grade working with a specialist, working with Orrin Gillingham. And by the time he started first grade, he was reading on, he was, he started first grade reading at grade level. Man, he's killing it. And then he's just like blown through it. So let me, let me Uh, pause you there, Kate, because again, part of the conversation here, it's valuable for other parents to hear what some parents are able Mm -hmm. to do and doing. So tell me, why do you think he was able to not only catch up, but then to expand what was going on in the, in the home to support that? You mentioned some of the trainings. Help me understand that more for right. other parents. So summer between kindergarten and first grade, he worked with an Orton Gillingham trained okay. dyslexia specialist. Right. And again, it, for the parents that are unfamiliar with this, can you give us quick understanding of what that sure. is? So Orton Gillingham, it's named after two people, it, Orton Gillingham and Wilson. It basically teaches reading in the explicit, direct, usually multi-sensorial way that dyslexics learn how to read. Like every child can learn how to read. And unfortunately, in say the last 30 years or so, reading curriculum in the United States has gone away from phonemic awareness and being direct. And like people are like, if you hear your teacher say to your kid, look at the page and then guess the word, right? Like the bike went fast and they're like, Hey, what's this B word that could possibly be illustrated? That's not teaching your kid how to read. And unfortunately there are programs like the teacher's college out of Columbia university, Lucy Calkins, like maybe these sound familiar. They're very common. The, the the state of Colorado just did a curriculum review and banned them out of Denver and Boulder public schools. And it's common like in Houston for this, for my younger child, I just, I was asked every single private school in Houston, what they were using and half of them are still using that. And it is not, an adequate way, not only to not teach a kid with dyslexia, but like even any with kid. any kid, any kid, there's so, only, I think it's like 30% of kids read in the way where they just absorb right. it. So, so let me pause but you anyway. here, Kate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're clearly schooled in this space. And yeah. again, that's part of what I think causes you to lean in because you have enough information to know when you're getting snowed. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so for the parents that are out there, uh, you know, one of the things, Kate, that just drives me absolutely, fur- it makes me furious, it makes me nuts, is that one in 10 black boys yes. in the country are reading on grade level. And this is actually, I see this idea of, uh, of teaching words by memory uh, so common in the lower income schools. And it just, it just paralyzes a kid. It, 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 it ruins them. It's the biggest uh, social just, justice issue of our time. You look at, I mean, the pipeline to prisons. Yes, you look yes, at how yes, many yes. Prisoners. Don't get me started. You're yeah, going you're gonna, you're gonna to make me have to pause and go and get a beer <laughs> to sedate yes. myself. All right. Yes. So back to your story. So your son uh, was diagnosed early with dyslexia. Mm-hmm. You got the re- the necessary resources in place. He he figured it out. And now he's off to the races. Now you a bit, yeah. His spelling is still terrible. He still can't write a paragraph, but he can read. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that what taught me is in dyslexia, it is the quintessential like the tortoise and the hare. We are the tortoise, 
you think that they're not making progress. Yes. And you just keep following the method that science has showed works. Stick with the plan. And you're thinking, this is not working. This is not working. And then it'll be like six months later. And they're like, hey, look at this. And you're like, oh my gosh. It just But it takes a lot of faith. It does. But the plan that you're describing, (laughs) it works. Again, the gentleman that we interviewed yesterday, he is a voracious reader. He reads dozens and dozens of books each year and has been doing that for the last 20 years after being dyslexic and being put into a special uh, school in the early years. I mean, it's anyway. So for the parents out there that have, that have a dyslexic kid, there is hope that's out there. Um, Kate is, is, is describing it. uh, But you've got to be really careful about the structure of the education. All right. Now let's go back to um, your younger, your younger boy, Mm -hmm. your suspect, your suspect, Expecting similar diagnoses, mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out what's the right environment. So yes. the first question I usually ask, and I think I know some of the answers already from our previous conversation, I also always start by asking, okay, parent, you you are a head coach, meaning you are in charge of, you're, you're looking at the strategy, you're having a vision mm-hmm. for where your, your children are going, and you're creating the conditions for success. But the, the question I would always ask is, what's your time flexibility? Because a hybrid model school requires a parent to right. be at home or some uh, non-parent adult to be at home for younger kids three days a week. What's what's that look like for you? You have that kind of flexibility? Yes, I do. I was um, planning on being a teacher. Mm-hmm. Got my master's. You are a teacher because you, <laughs> yes. had, you had two kids. Yeah. It just didn't work out the way I thought it was going to. So yes, I'm fortunate enough to have the flexibility. I was planning on going back and maybe teaching this year or next year. I was actually applying when the pandemic hit. Um, oh, wow. wow. But... And so I figure um, I go and get this Orton Gillingham training, which can be, you know, a little expensive, but not compared to my master's. And um, once I, I've, you know, helped my sons, it will be a good skill to have to offer definitely. to the community that we definitely. live in. So definitely. Okay. So the hybrid model requires, again, this level of, in, of engagement and ownership of the child, of the parent. Um, you have that. Uh the other part of it you have to be really careful about is, I think, um, the content that the school is requiring for the child to read. So when we were, again, this is our third hybrid model, the, uh, the second Trinity um, for the early grades was really great in terms of uh, reading books that were fun, uh, doing a lot of poetry recitation of fun mm-hmm. poetry, um, uh, a lot of public speaking. Uh, it was great. It was fantastic. And in fact, uh, we have a child who's probably on the ADHD spectrum and, uh, and she struggled when she was in school, excelled when she was at home mm-hmm. until she kind of figured it out around, you know, late elementary school. So I, I can't say many things negative about the hybrid model. And with St. Constantine, the reason that we are there is because they also have something they have, they have a la carte coursework. Right. right. So for us, the reason that Trinity became a problem for us was because the content w- became so uh, time intensive that it crowded out any of our children's interests. It crowded out. It, it made it made learning actually become uh, unpleasant. They started to resist learning. They started to like equate rating uh, learning with pain. 
And so we're like, wait a second, let's focus on the keys, the key pieces, the key pieces, reading, problem solving, um, writing, character, those are communication, those are the key pieces we want to focus on. And so we were then able to reduce the curriculum and see, you know, exponential growth in our kids, confidence, love of learning, desire to read, et cetera. So with St. Constantine, you have these opportunities to increase the workload or pull back based on what's going on in the life of the child. Now, it is not free, but these are investments that uh, will pay dividends many years from now. So that's, that's, that's my read on St. Constantine. There, there are these you know, places that are trying to change the environment or what school looks like, and they're kind of on the cutting edge in my view. Okay, yeah, I didn't realize that you were still there. When I yeah. spoke to our mutual friend, she thought, Okay, well, that's good. I'm glad you're still there. Yeah, well, kind okay, of. Well, Here's the deal. We're kind of there. You're planning to go so, back next year. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not sure. So here's the deal for us. Okay. So our kids around, like our whole vision and what we talk to parents about is the ownership, the head coach role, the role that you are so powerfully playing right now must shift to the child as they approach middle school, right? And so okay, ideally, yep, ideally around 12, 13, they are now making ma- the majority of the decisions because what, what the goal here is to create a kid who loves to learn, who is increasingly able to drive their own learning. Because again, if you think about where the future is going, it's not going to be, um, okay, let's sit down and take a class to learn how to do X, Y, or Z. You're going right. to go online. You're going to figure it out because you're going to, your, your boss or your boss, or if you're an entrepreneur, you're going to need to figure out how to satisfy the client in a week. And so right. you spend, yeah, you spend 40 yeah. hours learning whatever the issue is. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that type of intense learning is something you have to learn how to do. And the traditional model is uh, we're going to tell you what to learn and we're going to give you the timeline and it's going to be very slow. Uh, we're going to evaluate your progress and we're not, my, yeah, my argument is that that models, the old model, and we need kids to actually learn how to do that as well. And they won't learn it unless they take ownership of their mm-hmm. own learning. That's so we left St. Con- St. or Trinity in order to get to a place where they could learn more of their or own more of their learning. They decided my oldest decided after a year at HSPVA, which is the high school for mm-hmm. um, uh, visual and performing arts, a very selective, mm-hmm. very hard to get into high school. She was a straight A student as a freshman quit because she said the download speed is too low here. Uh, I love the culture, but I I've got other things I want to do and I want to move faster than what they're allowing. So that's exactly what I'm hoping for, for other families. Yeah. Yeah. And she's been killing it since, um, taking courses at the university, building her own pathway. She's writing a book right now. I mean, there's all sorts of things this week I could talk about. So what I want to do a little bit is inspire you to one, keep playing this role of head coach, but also to start thinking about when and how do I start transitioning this over? Uh, even basic things like, it, you know, do you, do you allow your child to read what they enjoy with some, yeah. with some encouragement around some things to kind of broaden their spectrum a little bit, right? Um, yes. So those are all part, parts of- I mean, of- that was key in the older one becoming such a voracious reader and making the huge strides that he made. I mean- I can't keep them in books. I can't keep them in podcasts and audiobooks and and regular traditional you know paper books. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we have a ton of books, and yeah. I, and then that is one valuable thing I learned in my masters of ed is you know, student choice is just if you want 
first they need the foundation and the phonemic awareness and like the, the structure of learning how to read. And once they know how to read, you just, you let them go. Bingo. Yep. You let and them go. You expose them. sounds like you have a lot of books in the house. That's one yeah, of the issues for a lot of lower income. Yeah. For a lot of low income families, but there are ways to do that. I've met a lot of low income families who figure that out from the library. I mean, the library app with all the free books is pretty fantastic. And there's, sure it is. And there's a couple other ways too. Yeah. But. So, so again, summarizing, um, mm-hmm. given your level of attention and your, frankly, your knowledge base around things like reading, you're going to continue to, to upskill yourself over the next few years as you're, and you're going to watch your sons and you're going to see them strong in some areas, weak in others. You'll start adjusting your plan, mm-hmm. but that plan should also be this trend, this intentional transition where son, you are taking, not only are you choosing your books, mm-hmm. but at some point you're going to choose what class you'd like to take. Right. right. Uh, by the way, my middle daughter, when she first went to St. Constantine, she said that she was really interested in science. And so she took, as an eighth grader, she took the ninth grade and the 10th grade science courses in eighth grade. Okay. So there's no reason that it should wait. I mean, if the kid is interested and motivated, go for it, right? That's really cool that they let them do that. They did. Yep, they did. Again, it's, as the school gets bigger, it becomes more bureaucratic, but Mm -hmm. these are some questions that as you kind of think forward- Given my older son's school, I don't know if anything could be as bureaucratic <laughs> as, as that. Well, you know, that's the whole deal, right? The school, the traditional model is based on what works for the adults in the school. And so you create these bureaucracies to make life easier for the adults. Mm-hmm. To make life better and, and better for the students, though, requires a lot of flexibility. It requires right. weird things like an eighth grader sitting in a 10th grade uh, uh, science course, right? That shouldn't be weird, but in a traditional if you model, let one child do it. How can we let all the other child children do it? That was something right. where, yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so again, you're, I'm what I'm trying to do is coach you a little bit about the, the yeah. here and now, but also this, uh, this, this process, this process of letting go and transitioning ownership over mm-hmm. the next few years. I, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of St. Constantine. I'm a, I'm a fan of Trinity. I'm a fan of any model that gets you away from the rig, the, the rigidity of a traditional school environment, uh, mm-hmm. I think that that creates more opportunity for the child to find what they're passionate about. So let me ask you: what if you were to ask either your either your kids what what are they curious about? What would they say? The older one loves history. Oh, like, nice! I mean, and graphic novels. Uh-huh. I mean, he he would prefer to sit. I mean, he does well in math too. He wouldn't say he enjoyed it though, but he, yeah. it's, you know, he wants to sit in history and social studies classes and art class all day long. Yeah. And the younger one can spend, he spends hours outside with his animal figures. Um, like I let him turn the hose on and we have rocks and he just has free reign over the backyard and he is happy there for like three yeah. hours yeah. by himself. Yeah. Um, and he knows all sorts of animal facts. So, I mean, we try to do encourage, you know, those sorts of things. All right. So let's transition a little bit because the next part of what I would say is beyond like what school you go to is mm-hmm. really about what's their learning plan. What's, what's the, uh, what's the structure and the plan that you will bring forth or support for them to expand and explore the areas of interest to them. So uh, your oldest is how old again? Nine, third grade. Nine, okay. 
Uh, it's tough for him because he's still learning the basics. And it's having a kid with a learning disability, you know, they end up needing support outside school hours and there's yeah. less time to focus on passions, which is something that really bothers me. Yes, um, in the traditional model. In the traditional model. Yes. Yes. I know. I'm so, feeling the older one. If the younger one goes to a hybrid, the older one's going to be like, excuse me, <laughs> what is he doing? We'll get there. We'll, we'll have that discussion when we get so there. So at, at nine, what I might rec- not recommend, because I don't recommend, I just say, based on what I'm hearing, here's kind of what I might do with my own kids, right? I don't know if it works for you and mm-hmm. I don't pretend to, but I might start a conversation with both kids about uh, what if, what if we tried something a little differently? And here's kind of how it might look. And here's the, some of the things. Let's let's brainstorm some of the things we might do outside of the traditional day, right? Um, uh, again, this idea of a of a kid who's interested in history. I've got I've got something that you uh, you need to take a look look at. It's called okay. Hardcore History. Okay. Have you heard of that? No. Okay. So it it, it might be a little gritty for an, a. My husband just walked through and said he's heard of it. Has Green's he? Okay, I think yeah. Okay. Well, it is, it's, it's the podcast that caused me to go, Oh my gosh, why didn't I hear this in middle school? I would have, I would have fallen in love with history. I would have fallen in love with travel. I would have fallen in love with all sorts of things. So uh, he's a history, former history teacher, this guy who runs it, Dan Carl Carlton, I think, but uh, 20 hour podcasts on like world war two. Right. 20 hours. Did you hear me? <laughs> yeah. And it's so gritty. It, it, it talks about the reality of the technology, about the grind. The, 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 you know, this is the part that, you know, you may want to maybe. Well, listen it's, to it it's hard because I don't let them watch regular TV during the week, but we have the PBS app. And so yeah. like, I'll come down and they'll be watching like the Nova on some sort of like World War II thing or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'm like, it's... ah, that wasn't what I was going to pick, <laughs> but okay. Well, my point of, and again, uh, hardcore yeah. history talks about Genghis Khan and, cool. you know, I mean, like all sorts of history, uh, but it, he goes into such detail that this child will learn economics, f- finance, uh, global. And if you're listening with them and pause it and say, mm-hmm. all right, we're going to now look at where that is on a map. We're going to figure yeah, that, that out. That sounds very much so like something I would do. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're going to be, you're going to go, holy cow. I never thought that this, oh, actually it was World War One. This is that this was what was going on in World War One. Mm-hmm. Now I understand World War Two, right? Now I yeah. understand technology. Now I understand, you know, all sorts of things that uh, when you take a thin view of World War One. You don't understand the technology, the 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 psychological trauma to entire mm-hmm. countries that came from that. You, you don't understand um, how com- countries got rich off of, of war. Uh, how the power shifted from uh, from England to the United States over the next you know thirty years following that war. There's all sorts of incredible, 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 uh, and that's just one of his many podcasts. That's so yeah. that's an example of something you could start to filter in to explore and then build a learning plan that then goes deeper into history based on that podcast. Uh, he would recommend books in that podcast. Of course, there's a ton of geography. There's a kind of individuals that you could study, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. That's yeah that plan. sounds great. I mean, that's sort of the type of thing that my husband, my husband, um, he's a lawyer, but he, he's a teacher also. Like he teaches at church and he teaches nice. uh, at, law classes at Texas Southern 
mm-hmm. when he can't, you know, like before COVID, he wants yeah. to go back to that, you know, and he like does uh, RCIA at our Catholic church and stuff. So, I mean, we're both teachers at heart. Absolutely. So our kids are lucky in that way. Um, and I found that's the best. I mean, we love podcasts. Like I don't, yeah, for younger kids, I don't know, uh, Greeking Out from National Geographic is uh-uh. incredible. It's all really? the Greek myths oh. in a very dramatic fashion. Yeah. The boys flew through those um, earlier on. And yeah. so I don't know, but quarantine and COVID and keeping them both home has really been illuminating, you know, and what works and what doesn't work. Um, what are your hesitations about, um, you know, a, a place like a St. Constantine or some non-traditional, what are, what would, what would go through your mind? Well, when we looked at Trinity and I went to the meeting at the beginning, yeah. um, I wasn't, I left mid meeting because I didn't agree with their science curriculum. Mm-hmm. So and you, and you have no way of opting out. Right. And so that would be hard. Um, you know, it's hard when there's something being taught at school that you don't feel is like mainstream or, you know, not, I mean, you can go, it can, that's applicable to so many different things. <laughs> you know? And, and Kate, here's the thing. So um, a lot, I've talked to a lot of folks whose educational kind of insiders that say we shouldn't leave those decisions to parents. Then I, my question is, okay, so who should make those decisions? And they say, well, ex- experts in education. Okay. So the expert in education knows your child better than you as the parent knows them, right? So mm-hmm. you know your child and you're going to be raising this child and you're responsible for the child's long-term future. I'd be willing to bet that you have more at stake and more interest in the future of the child than, than right. the experts in the, in the system. So don't believe the, the hype that whatever the curriculum that the school offers is a school you must, or is the curriculum you must follow. Right. It's hard though, too, but seeing that, I mean, for science, yes, but I just, I always, I'm so like tunnel vision on reading, you know, mm-hmm. it's so hard to have a curriculum that doesn't meet the needs of your kids or probably half the kids in the class. That's and right. then be told, well, your kid's not measuring up. And I'm like, and I'm sure I'm so annoying. I'm like, well, your curriculum sucks. This isn't based in science or the research or any of it. So or if you want to come at me, or it's not what my child is interested in, you can go on and on, right? Yeah. It's like, how can you judge me by this curriculum? judge my child by this measure that all these experts and like the collective research has said is not an effective way to teach children, like all children, not even just children with learning disabilities. Like that is makes my head. What makes, yeah, that's right. That's right. So again, for the parents listening, what I'm trying to get is for you to pick up on Kate's intentionality, her, uh, her, her inflexibility around the things that matter. Right. In, you, as parents, we need to be flexible about some things and just like radically inflexible about others. And the radical inflexibility is if my child is disengaged, then he's not learning. Uh, yeah. If I, as the parent, don't like where it's going, I now have actually the authority to say no, right? Even on a curriculum, you know what? We're not, my family is not going to read that, uh, that book, period. I am the parent. I have the authority to make that call. You as the school, you'll have to decide how you want to handle that. But we're going to study this instead because that's where my child is really interested in. And we're going to go a thousand miles an hour that direction. Maybe we'll meet back up at some point if you'd like. But Mm -hmm. that type of that kind of, you know, strength 
It's what our kids are going to need going forward because the system is still stuck in 1985. Still stuck in 1985. The idea that even in a hybrid model school, which is far, I mean, it's a thousand miles away from a traditionally structured yeah. school, but still the idea that we know best and we're going to tell you what should be learned and don't question it because we're the experts. That's still a pervasive idea in, in education generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea that the parent is not capable of owning more of this and the child is not capable of owning or owning more of this. Those are all, all. I wonder if that's changing. I did notice just going through like the private school interviewing process four or five years apart with my two kids. Mm-hmm. The schools were focusing way more on curriculum or I was more tuned in than they were five years ago with my older kids. Like mm-hmm. I was like, what is your really, what is your reading curriculum? What is your such and such? And one of the private schools was like, we have noticed this new group of parents are like, if you're going to, if I'm going to charge you this much money, they want to know what exactly they're getting. And they have noticed a shift in the last couple of years where people are like, oh no, it's not sufficient enough any longer to say, just trust us. Yes. But there we're consumers now. We're much more maybe consumer-based or just more educated. And we want to know what we're getting for those tuitions. And I think it's the same in public school too. It should be. It should be. It's oftentimes not the case in public school because what a public school oftentimes will say is if you don't like it, get out. Right. Right? But even just to know what they're offering, but I mean, again, looking at the HISD website and trying to figure out. Yeah. It's opaque. But just in what, I mean, we're in the district, like what resources, even if, you know, if I opt out or I homeschool, can you still give my kid? I mean, it's yeah. crazy. Anyways, yeah. it's hard to. Well, hard to it, it is hard to figure out, but here's again, this is part of what, why, why we offer these calls. Sometimes parents just need, you know, let's just bounce ideas off of each other, right? Let's, let's kick around. Am I off base to, to actually want to own more of my child's education? You're not, you're exactly on. And, you know, one of the things I talk to parents about a lot is uh, five years from now, all the administrators that you're interacting with and battling with, they're going to be moved on someplace else. You're going to still have your child. You're going to still have to deal with the repercussions of, of what happens if you trust them. And it turns out that they were actually creating structures to help themselves make their lives a little easier rather than helping your child get ready for their future. These are the things that every parent needs to really, really noodle on and then work with other parents to actually embolden and strengthen yourselves. So what I would also, a couple other things I might think about if I were in your shoes is one, who are the other parents that I can actually work with uh, that might be thinking about this whole idea of, you know, let's, let's, let's make a more learner centered educational experience for our kids um, oftentimes, frankly, uh, parents of dyslexic kids are more sensitive to that because they realize they've got a problem and now they're leaning in kind of like mm-hmm. yourself. Um, yeah. and then so, social, yeah. Sorry, uh, go ahead. last point. And then the, the, the social elements do matter like a child that is learning in a group, but it doesn't have to be the same age group, but learning and listening to hardcore history with an older, or maybe not younger cause it's gritty. Um, mm-hmm. that creates a really interesting dynamic of conversation mm-hmm. and exploration. And let's look on a map and let's, you know, let's, let's travel there. Right. If, mm-hmm. if that is a possibility in your household as well, I'm sorry, you were going to say something. Oh, 
I mean, dyslexics are more open to it, but there's also still such parents and families that have a lot of shame associated with it that sometimes they don't want to be out in the open about it. You know, it's one of those, it's an invisible learning disability. And so like, I do know some other kids that have dyslexia, but, you know, as I've kind of attempted to have conversations with those other parents, they kind of look at me like they don't know what I'm talking about, even though like I've ran into them at remediation. Like I know your kids are you know, yeah. so it's anyways, but I'm the type of person too, that like looks at a system as like, I want to fix it for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I do want to do that. Uh, but sometimes I have to narrow my view to my child and then hope that creates waves that will benefit other kids. Yeah, that's right. So here's, here's how I, cause here's how I sleep well at night. Because when I have these conversations, I think I'm, I hope, pray that I'm helping the person I'm talking to. And I know there's 10,000 folks that won't hear this message. Uh, But the way I think about this is uh, for parents like yourself who have this larger global aim to change how education works, that's exactly where I am. But there's a season where your kids are extraordinarily vulnerable. And if you take your eye off the ball during that season, you may have to spend many years undoing the damage. And so for that season, what I have said, and again, I quit a a very, actually two very well-paying jobs in order to be me being at home with my kids, um, was I'm going to invest now and make sure if I'm going to error, I'm going to error on the side of caution and on, on the side of me playing a leadership role. And then if it doesn't work, you know, who's to blame? It's me, right? I'm, I'm going to take the burden on that, but I'm never going to look at the school and say, you screwed up. You know, it's your fault. I'm going to say, I'm going to lead this deal and I'm going to look to the school to come and support my vision and my goals for my kid. And then as that, now my kids are about to leave the roost uh, and I'm now aiming much more at communal change, societal change programs like this to allow folks to contact and get help. So that, that season is coming for you. And I would love to stay in touch with you because the expertise, the expertise you have as a parent, as well as an educator, that's the type of skills that uh, a lot of folks need. Thanks. I would, yes, I would love to stay in touch and we're neighbors. So that's right. And we're neighbors. (laughs) So listen, uh, I hope this was helpful. Um, it, it, it was, it was like the best pep talk I've ever gotten. (laughs) I'm going to like go in and battle again in August. I'm just like, yes, stress dreams about it. Well, Call me back. Um, I have I have occasionally gone with a parent to a you know parent teacher conference. I don't think oh, you okay. need. I don't think you, my sense is you you don't need Your that. Teachers but teachers are never the problem. Yeah, for me. agreed. It's it's the folks. My yeah. sense is the closer you get to the interaction between teacher and child, the more authentic and honest the interaction. You oh, get absolutely. One, right? one step removed, it becomes like, what are you really after? Two steps removed, it's not clear that they even know what a child actually is. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. So uh, your your instincts are precisely where I have been. And as a, as a reminder, I've been a bunch of school boards um, from K-12, I'm sorry, from pre-K all the way up to public university. And, uh, you know, teachers are your friend generally. The system is not. The system is built for uh, keeping the adults happy, contractors, uh, you know, employee groups, et cetera. So you can call me at any time scheduled like you did before at the educationgame.com slash contact. Uh, and for other parents that are listening, if you want to kick around ideas, uh, get a sense of what I might suggest, 
or what I might do if, it, if I were in this situation, this is the way to do it at theeducationgame.com uh, slash contact. So, Kate, I hope this was helpful. Uh, let's stay on the line and let's talk a little bit more because I want to hear more about or share a little bit more about um, uh, hardcore history uh, okay, to make sure we don't traumatize your son. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen. Thank great. you very much. Thank you. Okay, gamers, I hope you took away some lessons, lessons that are going to help you play that head coach role a little bit better. So this call today was an example of a conversation that we have every week, really every day. So if you have questions or ideas that you want to run past me or doctors, I ask you to go to our website, theeducationgame.com backslash contact and schedule a conversation with us. Be happy to talk through this with you, whatever your question might be. We are here to put you back in charge of your child's education and to help you develop a learning plan that works for your child. So thanks for listening to the Education Game Podcast, and we will see you here next time.